You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. If you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. And this is an anonymous quote. I just want to kick off the show this morning with that. If you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. Just go for it. And for those of you our loyal listeners being with us, I can't believe we've been doing this 16 years. It's just amazing. Those who've been with us for this this entire time, I just thank you and thank you and appreciate you. If this is your first time listening off the shelf. I want to tell you that you are listening to the Winning Book Podcast off the shelf, and welcome to the Saturday. We we are we are like almost we have more than halfway through with this month. I feel like October just started a week ago, and we're now more than halfway through the month. So welcome to October the sixteenth. For those of you who work with other people, this is National Bosses. David, I think they recognize it on Friday. Or you still have time to give somebody a appreciation on Monday. And then I think today is also World Food Day. When it comes to book marketing or any other type of marketing, these holidays, you can really make them a part of your marketing efforts. And speaking of book marketing and authors, we have a wonderful author on deck for you, which we're going to introduce to you very shortly. But on this Saturday is autumn and it's here in the United States, the weather is changing. I can see outside my window the leaves are starting to turn that golden brown, that orange, that orange golden color. So I want to I want to ask you: This is a great time to sit down with a good book, but also it's a great time to to just start. If you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission and take care of yourself as well. I heard somebody tell me years ago, once your health is gone, it's, I mean, if you lose that, man, you, you don't have much to work with. So taking care of yourself inwardly. We just had the World Mental Health Day is coming, and just with dealing with the COVID and some people in lockdowns and just so many different things, so many changes going on right now. Make sure you do something every day to prove to yourself that you love yourself. You might do three things you love every day. Make Start making relaxing a part of your daily routine. And if you're looking for support and help and guidance in that, pick up a copy of Awaken Blessings of Inner Love. And you can, it's, a, it's a nonfiction book. You can get an e-book or print. And if you don't see it on a store shelf, just ask for it. You want to get a copy of Awaken Blessings of Inner Love by Denise Turney, and you can get it online, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, just anywhere you can you can get the book, Awaken Blessings of Inner Love by Denise Turney. Go bless yourself. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest, and our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Haley Kilgore, and I'm excited to have her here. She actually was rescheduled from late last year. There's a lot going on, so we are excited to have her here with us this morning. Haley is a Charlotte, North Carolina native who today enjoys calling Miami, Florida home. We'll see if that's changed, you know, from last year to, to now. We'll talk about Miami. That's some nice, warm, tropical climate. And she works as a marine biologist. Great, great location to be living in. And she is a fan of fantasy fiction. She might be the second fantasy fiction author we've had on. And Haley is the author of the book Nanigan. And she loves adventure and magic. She earned her marine biology degree from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. In 2019, she earned a Master of Professional Science in Marine Conservation from the University of Miami. And Haley loves to scuba dive, you guys. And in addition to writing, she works as a water quality lab at she works for a water quality lab at Florida International University. Check her out online at rockhillpublishing.com forward slash Haley Kilgore, that HTML. You can find that. It's spelled just the way it sounds. If you go to rockhillpublishing.com, you'll look under authors and you can see her. And it's spelled this, exactly as it sounds, R-O-C-K-H-I-L-L-P-U-B. 
L-I-S-H-I-N-G.com, RockHillPublishing.com, and just look for Haley Kilgore. We are absolutely honored to have Haley with us here at Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Haley. Hi. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I was so upset I had to reschedule last year, but I got thrown into the field and just I couldn't make it on, unfortunately, so I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, things happen. Things happen. We've had, I've had guests. That's why I never make assumptions on anything. I had a guest stop. She said she was traveling, uh, a, a businesswoman, and she was traveling, and she got a flat tire. So she said she literally pulled over on the side of the highway and did the podcast interview. So you never know what's going on. People who have family members who get sick, but we're just delighted to have you here with us today. Now the first. Three to four questions that I'm going to ask you. I ask every guest to give our listeners a little backstory on our guest. So, uh, to start today's show, Haley, can you tell off the shelf listeners what life was like for you growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina? Uh, you know, life was always interesting. Um, you know, there was a lake, so in the summer, if you weren't at summer camp, you were somewhere on the lake. Um, you know, I've always been a very bookish person, so, like, my earliest memories were of reading. Um, you know, life was just good. I did a lot of martial arts in high school. Other than that, I'm really just very unathletic. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Okay, so with Charlotte, now Charlotte is really starting to grow is is really starting to come on, and I heard the traffic there could give Atlanta a run for its money. Was it really fast, and was it developed the way it's starting to be when you were growing up? Uh, no. When I was, like, really little, like three or four, like, on the edge of town, there were two cow farms. Now in the middle of town, there is one cow farm. Uh, so, I mean, that kind of tells you just how much it's changed. And, I mean, the traffic is bad, but um, after living in Miami, nothing beats Miami traffic, so... Oh, you know, and I haven't heard that they have bad traffic, so that's interesting. That is interesting. Um, so what did you, you growing up in, in uh, Charlotte, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, well, I started, you know, real little thinking I wanted to do, be a vet, and then I realized that required some stuff I didn't really want to do. So uh, I kind of popped over and was like, yeah, marine biology, that's fun. Uh, and then I kind of just stuck with that one, but, uh, you know, around middle school, I was like, yeah, I kind of want to write as well. Never really got anywhere with it, you know, and then uh, come college, I was just like, I'm going to write a book, and I did. <laughs> and we see the results of it now. Good for you. Good for You say being a vet, did you think that was harder? I would think being a marine biologist is harder, but did you think it would be harder to be a vet than a marine biologist? Oh, I mean, absolutely. You've got to remember so much specific anatomy about, you know, just household pets, uh, as well as medications and things like that. Plus, when it's time, you've got to put them down. And that was a big thing for me. I was like, I couldn't do that every day. Uh, uh, I just know two people who did that, one their cat and one their dog. Who who or what inspired you? You said you when you went to college, you were well, you were younger. You said you wanted to write, but you put it off, and you went to college, and you finally wrote a book. What's the inspiration? Who actually inspired you to want to pursue writing, and who birthed your love for books? Uh, as far as birthing my love for books, I have no idea. It, it was just it's something I've always loved. Um, so. You know, I've been reading so long, I can't even say who said, oh, yeah, go read, you'll enjoy it. Like, I can't even do that. Uh, but as far as writing, Christopher Pellini, who wrote the Aragon series, is actually who inspired me to write. I remembered reading him as a kid and, you know, finding out, like, he published his first book when he was 15. And I'm like, I want to wow. be like him. And so, I was, you know, that was kind of... He was kind of like my goal. You know, of course, I passed 15 and wasn't published, but, you know, he was still my goal because, um, you know, he's what really inspired me and kind of put the inklings of a book idea in my head. And, you know, I kind of needed that extra decade to, like, figure out where I was going with it. But, you know, he's, he's the guy who kind of planted the seed. Interesting. So before we talk about Nan again, which sounds so intriguing to me, and I definitely want to dig into the story, but I'm curious, just what do you do while working at the Water Quality Lab at Florida International University? 
so that's actually a really fun question. Um, if I were to just, you know, say it to some random person on the street, I am a glorified water bottle filler. Uh, I basically go out on a boat and I fill up water bottles with seawater. And then we ship them to someone else uh, a little bit further north in Miami. And they run an analysis on them. Um, so I'm just the person collecting the samples. Uh, but, of course, there's so much more going into it than just collecting the samples. Um, but it's a lot of numbers on that other side and, you know, working with boats and things like that. So what, but what is the purpose? I'm thinking that, that, that the, the city or the state, is they've got employees who work, and I forget, I forget the utility companies. Are they not doing that? So what is the reason for is it just to oh is it I just popped into my head is it just to test the water instead of testing it and making it purifying and filtering it for human consumption is it to test and see how safe is it for the animals who live in the water? Yes, exactly. So uh, the lab I work for has actually been sampling the Florida Keys for longer than I have been alive, and I've been alive for about twenty six years. Um, and so we go to the same sites uh, once a quarter and we collect water samples so we can look at how has the water quality changed over time with, um, you know, various human constraints. And, um, you know, if you get a big fish kill, we can say, okay, well, here's what the nutrients were that for that area. And we can say, okay, wow. here's the reason why X, Y, and Z happened. Uh, but also it's just kind of we have this baseline of, you know, we've been, we've been looking at this water quality for 20 years. So when something goes sideways, we can – kind of figured out because we know what it should be and how things have slowly progressed over time with, you know, human influences. Is the water, is the water, and I know you're just testing it in one area, but you hear about oil spills and plastic, is the quality of it, is it decreasing or is it, or is it the same or is it improving? Um, well, unfortunately, I don't ever see the final report. Uh, and I've only been at the lab for about a year, but from what I can tell, the water quality has, it's not horrible, but it's not as great as it used to be about 20 years ago. So there has been some negative change. Wow. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard so many things, and I'm hearing more and more people say we have to come out of this magical thinking like the earth is just going to take care of itself magically, and we have to do smart things like we do with our bodies. I mean, you can't just put garbage in your body and expect it to keep functioning right. Yeah, so it's the same. It's the same thing. Um, but thank you for the work that you do. I'm sure it, it it produces a good result, even if you don't see, like you said, the results of it. Now let's go and talk about Nan again. <laughs> Can you give off the shelf listeners, Haley, an overview of your book, Nan again? Yeah. So uh, a very quick, like, elevator pitch of what Nanagan is about. Uh, it's more or less what happens when you take um, a very normal person from our very normal everyday world, throw them into a world filled with magic, and tell them to go save it. Uh, it's a lot of chaos, but it's a lot of fun. Um, there is, of course, the evil king, and then there's dragons, and there's magic. So I had fun writing it. I like to believe people have fun reading it. Okay, so so it's so this is uh, now I've researched it, so I know a little bit about about it. So what time period is this story, what time period is this story taking place in? Is it very far into the future? Is it happening right now during the day's times? Um, So it happens, it's our concurrent time period, but the other world that the character gets transported to is closer to a medieval society. So castles and knights and things like that. Ah, okay. So you're kind of doing a little bit of time, time, time travel. What is Miss Keegan Dilgore? Keegan Dilgore, if I miss, hopefully put saying her names correctly. What is she like? Describe her for our listeners. Um, Keegan Dilgore uh, is more or less just a reflection of myself. Um, you know, this this story started out as bedtime stories to myself, so I would fall asleep, and of course, I'm the main character in my own bedtime story, so. As I got older, I had to actually write the book. Uh, she was a little bit harder to separate from myself. So um, she's very funky. She's a bit of a spitfire, uh, but she's also really intelligent, very out-of-the-box kind of thinker. Um, and she does also just – she's got a big heart. And, and when she deems you as a friend, she's like, I'll do just about anything for you. So so she's a good 
good person. And how old? And you're you're 26. How old is she? Uh, Keegan is 19, uh, turning 20. Oh. She's young. Yeah. So this is a, a new adult novel, and new adult is kind of geared towards. Uh, you know, you're like 16 to 29, not saying anyone younger or older can't read it, but it's a little bit more geared towards those people who aren't, you know, ready for like John Grisham and Michael Crichton, but, you know, have surpassed things like Rick Riordan and, you know, uh, J.K. Rowling and Christopher Pliny and need just something a little bit more mature. It sounds like you have, it, do you, you read a lot of fan fiction. Is that is that the only type of genre that you read or is that just like, you read 80% of it. You know your authors. Is that one of your top, top genres? Yeah, fantasy is absolutely my top genre. I also do really enjoy memoirs and historical fiction as well. You enjoy memoirs? Yeah. Okay. I thought for a minute I had lost you. Um, and uh, can I was you thinking the us, same thing. <laughs> yeah, can you tell us where Keegan was? I don't know what that noise is. Can you tell us where Keegan was born and where is she living at the start of, you said Nanagin? How do you pronounce it? Nanagin. So a great way to think about it is if you're saying no Nanagin with a bit of a southern accent. Nanagin. Nanagin. Where, where, was, she, where was she born and where is she living at the start of Nanagin? Uh, so I can't tell you where she was born because that's a little bit a part of the story. Um, but as far as where she's at the start of the book, uh, she starts the book in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay, so North, North Carolina. Uh, uh, is there a reason? So you say she's she's coming in, she's born, and her, are her parents normal? Uh, are they human? Are her parents human? <laughs> yeah, her parents are human, but they are magic wielders. Okay. Is there a reason why Keegan wonders... All right, let me I just go through. Because it's interesting. How can she, she's human. She's growing up in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I have to wonder, how does she even know she has these abilities? Okay, so this is the next question for you. Is there a reason why she wonders if RCO is a parallel universe? And then I want you to, to, to describe that for us. Why is um, there a reason why Stephen wonders this? Uh, so Keegan actually has no idea that the other uh, world, our seal, exists. Um, she just wakes up there and it's just like, well, this isn't home, and they're telling me it's a different world, and I have no ability to contradict them, so I guess this is a different world. Wow. So she just, that is kind of strange. She goes to sleep when, I don't want to get a story away, but, and researching it, this is stuff that's out there anyway, of course, or, or I wouldn't I wouldn't know about it myself. But um, she just goes to sleep in Wilmington, North Carolina, and then she wakes up in a parallel universe. Is she the only one in the story who has that happens to her, or is this a common thing? And she's young, and she just it's just the first time it's happened to her. Uh, it is. She is not the only one uh, who has experienced Nanagin, which is actually what transport people between worlds. Uh, and that's actually another really big part of the story. It explains a little bit about her background, uh, and it comes into play later with the evil king, Caius. Ah, so I, you kind of led into my next question. I was going to ask you, why is he mistreating her? She lives on Earth, and does she spend most of her time on Earth, does, so she's on Earth in Wilmington, North Carolina. Does she spend most of her time on Earth? And how old is she when she wakes up on this in this parallel universe the very very, very first time? How old is she when she when she uh, wakes up in this other universe and she doesn't even know where she is? Uh, she is nineteen when she wakes up in RCO. Okay, why is this king RCO? Does he know her? She's not even from this place. She's she's from Earth. Why why is he mistreating her? What what's the deal with him? Uh, so the deal with him is that he more or less threw a coup and 
they have these things called blind prophets, which can tell them about the future. And he gets told, oh, yeah, there's going to be a kid who can, you know, overthrow you. She's the only one who can do it. Uh, and so the fact that Keegan comes through to this world um, in a Nanagan, it already shows she's incredibly exceptional because Nanagans are really rare. Um, and so he's just like, well, she has to know something. And if she doesn't know something, well, then we can maybe make her know something. And he's just kind of losing his mind. He's like, there's someone out there who's killing. I need to find out who it is. Uh, and so he's just, that's his kind of motivation for just, you know, going wild. Describe the king for us. How old is he? How long has he been ruling? And what is this other universe like? Um, so Caius has been ruling for about 200 and about 200 years. Uh, wow. He, 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 lots of magic is involved. <laughs> um, but Caius is very smart, but he does tend to be ruled by his emotions, uh, especially anger. So he, while he does have his moments of intelligence, it doesn't always come off like that. It usually just comes off as madness. Uh, and the other world is, you know, I won't say a standard fantasy world, um, but it is more medieval set. Um, so there's no technology, really. Um, but there are other races. You've got uh, the merfolk, which are more or less mermaids. Uh, you've got dragons. You've got griffins. You've got the alvor, which are akin to elves. You've got your uh, torpeki, which are more or less like giant troll dwarves. <laughs> um, and then you've got your buluo, which are um, just a tribe of nomadic people and werewolves. So the king, is he, was he ever nice? He's been ruling for 200 years. Is he, a, is he a kind ruler or is he very, very cruel? Uh, he is very cruel. A lot of people want him gone. Ah. Okay. And he, and he started that way too. And, and then my next question, fantasy fiction. I have to get my mind into this fantasy fiction zone. It sounds like these people live forever. Uh, no, just Caius. Um, he has a magical ability called spell casting, so he can more or less do whatever he wants, provided he knows the right spell for it. Uh, and he knows the spell for longevity of life, so he uses it on himself because he can. Uh, now, is Aaron is Aaron one of Keegan's friends? And introduce our listeners to Aaron. Introduce our listeners to Aaron. Describe Aaron, and is Aaron a friend of Keegan's? Yeah, so Aaron is a friend of Keegan's. Uh, he is one of the first people to help her escape from Caius, uh, and he is also Caius's youngest son. Oh. So, yeah, he, he was a fun character because he's grown up in the chaos, and, he you know, he doesn't want to be a horrible person to, you know, other people, but he does fear his father, so he, he faces a lot of conflict of what should I do, what's the right thing to do, how can I do this without just, you know, getting myself into a load of trouble. That puts me, and you know, I think of uh, David and, um, uh, oh, I can't think of his name in the Bible. He had a, he, the, he, the, the guy who saw, Saul's son, he was a friend of David's in the Bible, and it's like his dad couldn't, was out to kill David because he, he had heard David would become king. So that, that, Reminded me that situation of that, and part of the of of the relationship, the how the characters interact with each other, and not Nonagan reminds me of some like Shakespearean writing. The, that that timeless human connection, you know, somebody might dethrone me or might be better than me. I can't let this happen. That that is a timeless uh, a character driven. It is very, very smart, I think, because it's timeless. And people see it at, in their relationships at work. People see it in their relationships in families. And you, you see this dynamic playing out everywhere. So it, it, even if somebody wasn't a big fan of fantasy fiction, that type of story, the same thing with um, uh, J.K. Rowling's, uh, her, her novels, Harry Potter, it has those universal elements of, of human relationships you don't need to really be big into fantasy fiction to want to follow that stream of that, that relationship that happens in so many ways to so many humans. 
now did did um so Aaron is I'm I'm picturing Aaron as this gentle soul. Is he is he a gentle naive person or is he really bright? Uh I wouldn't say he's bright. He's very sheltered uh just cuz his father likes to try and control him so he doesn't let him experience the world a lot. So there's some things he doesn't know but you know, he's not naive. He he understands, you know, certain things, um, you know, but he is just also a very generally very kind human. I have to ask you so you, when you say humans, it, this is where I'm having a difficult time. When they go to this other universe, there are other uh, types of beings there, but there also are humans on this uh, in this other universe as well. Did 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 Keegan, who's a human, and Aaron, who's a human, did they know each other before they arrived in Arsil? Did they did they know each other in like Wilmington, North Carolina? Before they both no no so Aaron Aaron has always been in our seal he has never been to our world um, and so Keegan more or less comes to our seal and she doesn't know anybody okay and then they meet up and then they meet up okay so our seal it to me it does not sound like a good place if you could visually describe it visually what's going on there is it is it has it was it ever a good place and it the 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 king took over and it became brutal really bad. Can you describe it visually for the listeners and then describe it based on what 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 is it like to live there? Yeah, um so visually you've kind of in the western uh bit of the continent you've kind of got you know your forested hills almost like a Piedmont region and then um the western boundary is a large set of mountains and then you go into the center of the country and it's more closer to what you would find out in the Great Plains area with a lot of rivers. Um, and then you go to the southeast, and it's a really big forest with trees, like, bigger than sequoias. Um, and then you go to these really big mountains, and then you've got the ocean. Uh, and then you go north, and you've got another set of plains. And then further north than that, you've got a volcano range. Um, and as far as living there, it's not bad, um, you know, it's just, it's not like the king's actively searching to murder everyone. Um, <laughs> you know, you can live a relatively peaceful life. Um, it's just, again, it's more medieval-esque, so there's no technology. Uh, you know, the style of clothing is a little bit more old-fashioned. Uh, so these people are not Star Wars flying around in spaceships or anything like this. So that's no. what I'm, actually, I'm actually visualizing this. Uh, that there, so this is a place where, as a listener, you think in 1600s. <laughs> yeah, 1600s is is about the, the not time frame, but the the way the world is. Okay, okay. So Caius, Aaron's father, Caius, you said he's tough, he's hard, and he's he's heard from someone that there's somebody who can kill him, and he wants to get to them before they get to him. Was he? What was he like when he was younger? Sometimes when you read a story and you see the character develop, and I don't know if you even go, go through this in the story, you might just show him the way he is now. I don't know if you show when he was a child. I'm thinking of Star Wars uh, with Darth Vader. You, you saw how he became that way. You saw that he wasn't always that way. Is this chaos or, or was he just from the word go? Just mean and tough. Uh, no, so he was actually, uh, he had certain things that turned him into this, uh, and the biggest thing was his brother and trying to prevent his brother from being killed, and that's kind of how he starts slowly going into his, his madness and, you know, I've, i got to do what i got to do kind of uh, mentality. And I think it's good that you show that because I'm in my mind thinking he's a lot like his son is now. He used to be. And then to show something happened, and then that can make the a reader wonder, well, what's going to happen to Aaron? He's a nice guy now. Is he going to something going to happen to him? And he going to become like his father? That just that type of character development, those questions, that mystery of not just the plot, but what's going to happen to the character. Is the character going to stay the way she or he is right now, or are they 
going to change. That was like a, a key key component in like Star Wars. What's going to happen to this character? Same thing with Harry Potter. You're like, is this snake, this this thing going to take him over? And then, oh, is he going to stay good? Is this, this is a, to me a big story driver in any story. Can you introduce us to some of the other major and minor characters in Nanagan? Yeah. Uh, so another major character is Braxton. Uh, Braxton is Caius's oldest son and Aaron's oldest brother. Um, and he is an even greater foil to what Caius is because he genuinely wants to do what's good and what's right, but he is very easily convinced to do the wrong thing out of fear. Um, so he's a bit of a fun character to write. And then you've also got Jared and Kate, who are also some people Keegan meets up with, and uh, they end up traveling together, um, and they are relatively important to the story. Jared's a bit more of a quiet soul, just willing to let things happen. Um, Cade is very much like Keegan, and they do butt heads a lot. Um, so he's fun to write in perspective of Keegan, because you, you never know what's going to come out of either of their mouths. It sounds like you just have fun writing this story. Where, where, or oh where? Now you love reading. You love fantasy fiction. Where, or oh where did the ideal for for to create the location for um, Arceo? Brand, you got to read with this fantasy fiction. You better know how to pronounce these words. Where did you get the idea to create RCO from? Where did this place even spring up from? 26 years old, you are, Haley. Where did you get the idea to create RCO from? Um, So the idea kind of came from, again, me telling myself bedtime stories. And the way it started is I would put myself in the books my dad was reading to me. Well, those would get boring, so I would change up the world. And then it'd be kind of, of me doing whatever I wanted in the world I created. And so it was just like, well, yeah, we'll, tar- we'll totally just have a portal fantasy, and, you know, I just go off and do adventures. <laughs> so it was more or less just me going into bedtime stories, and that was that. When you, so how were you, and now you're, you're, you're fascinated, I'm getting fascinated. How, I've never heard of a kid who did that, not that others don't. How were you when your dad was reading you these stories and you would just say, oh, I'm just going to make up a whole, whole new location for these characters while he's reading? How old were you when that idea then popped into your mind? Um, I was probably about 10. Um, I'd always had trouble sleeping. It would take me about two hours to fall asleep. And my aunt one day just said, well, when you're, you're going to sleep, just, just think of something. And so for some reason, think of something translated to think about books and the story you just had read to you. And so, yeah, that's kind of what segued <laughs> the whole thing. Wow, that is myself. fascinating. I've, that is so fascinating to me. You have a very creative, a, a very lively, it sounds like, imagination. You could have a, a I, I wish for you, a phenomenal writing career. You had that creativity when you said that. I'm thinking I've... I've heard writers say that they've heard characters talking to them. They've dreamed about the characters and know, and knew from a dream what to write about as they continue to develop the story. But what you did, listening to somebody read to you, and you say, oh, I'm getting bored. Let me just create a new place for this story. That's a new one. That's one I hadn't heard before. Now, do you plan to turn Nonagon into a book series, uh, and why or why not? Yes, it is. It is actually a book series. Uh, the second book is currently in editing with the editor, and we're hoping for a release of early next year. Uh, this book was more or less always planned to be a series because there's just so much going on. Uh, and as a fantasy reader, most fantasy books are a series. So for me, it was just like, yeah, that makes sense. Have enough stuff in there, you need four books. <laughs> so okay. that's just how it's always been. Did you write the whole story already, and you're now just going back and sharpening the second book, the third, the fourth, or did you just are you actually writing them story by story? So you just you finished the first book in the series, and now then you started on the second book, which you're expecting out early 2022, and then you'll start writing on the third. Or is the whole story already written? 
Um, the whole story is not already written. Um, I had told myself most of the bedtime story through the end of the third book. Um, but as I've been writing, uh, certain events have changed, and so that's made me rethink what the bedtime stories were. So I'm still trying to work some kinks out of a few things. How easy. You read a lot of fantasy fiction. And let me ask you this before, for our listeners who themselves might be interested in writing fantasy fiction. You read a lot of it. Did you struggle to find your own voice as a fantasy fiction author? This is your first book, and congratulations on that. Did you struggle to find your own voice, or did you find yourself with other fantasy fiction writers you admire that you're either trying to emulate them? Um, so when I first started, I, I really didn't have an issue with finding my own voice. I just kind of started, and, you know, of course, the first draft is horrible, but that's what they're there for. And then as you're editing, you know, your your true writer's voice kind of comes out. It was actually when I was writing the second book and I was starting to read more that I started to emulate some of the people I was reading, uh, but it actually worked out for the best because it made the, the storytelling and the way the story flowed a lot better. So, <laughs> um you know, just as a writer, I think a lot of people tend to just start, and then you you figure out your voice as you go, and there's there's no wrong or right way to do it. And then over time, you kind of evolve as you get better at writing, and you meet other authors you really admire. You start taking some of the things you like from them, putting them in, and then you know by the time it's all said and done, you've got four writers you're trying to emulate, but it's now your own voice because well, it's based off of four different people. Ah, uh, interesting, interesting. How easy or difficult was it to write uh, Nine Again? You're seeing it in your head. And and I want to also ask you this before you answer that. When you create, again, we have listeners who themselves are writers or, or, or they want to also write. Some just read fiction. Some of our listeners are editors or literary agents. And some, again, they want to actually do what you're doing. When you, when a story, when a story came to you, did it come to you visually or like a movie playing out in your head or the words just, it was just more a structural, sentence structural, story structural, or did it come through like a movie? Um, so for me, it it was weird. It was like almost watching a movie, but I couldn't see the screen, uh, <laughs> which is really, it doesn't make sense. But for me, it was just like I didn't see like a movie. But yet I was watching it happen, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure I sound like I'm absolutely insane, um, but more just it was there, and just you kind of you knew exactly what was going on, even if you didn't see it, per se. Yeah, you so some sort of a visualization in your head, and I totally get it. I totally get that. How easy or difficult was it? You, you're seeing this play out in your head, and you're like, okay, that's right, that feels right. Let me have a character do this. How easy or difficult was it to actually take this story? Because I get ideas for for the fiction, nonfiction stories, but it, then you the, writing is work. And I would tell anybody that it, uh, some of the best writers when I was starting out years ago, Stephen King said, "If you cannot write, then don't." Because this, if you can, if you cannot help but to write, then do. Because they all said, Joyce Carol Oates, etc. This is work. It is not. It takes work to craft a good story. So, from the concept of Nonagon to actually sitting down and writing the story, getting the characters right, keeping staying consistent with different traits of the characters, how easy or difficult was it to actually write the book? Um, you know that's a that's a really good great question. So, um, the first draft which I did was physically written, and I would write, like, a chapter a night, and I did that over the summer. Um, and it was relatively easy. I wasn't going back, trying to look at consistency. I was just worried about getting it on paper. And then going back from there, it took another four years to make things all shiny and for me to send them to a publisher. Um, but, you know, that was also me, like, hyper-aggressively editing and being like, huh, I don't like this with only four perspectives. Let's add in another, like, eight. Um so there was a lot of a lot of change going on between you know that first draft and that final draft. Um, but for me, it was always easy. It was something fun for me. 
Uh, and then when I got into the second book, I started to dread things a little more, and I started getting writer's block. So, you know, I would, I would take breaks and say, I'm not going to write for until, until I feel like again. So sometimes it'd be six months, and I haven't touched, a, you know, the document, and which is which is fine, you know. Uh, you just you got to write at your own pace, and your body will let you know when it's time to write and when it's time to stop. So that first draft for our listeners who want to be writers, that first draft was easy for you to get down. It was when that that uh, editorial critic came out and you had to you sharpen the story. That's when it took four years. And you know what? Some writers can put out a new book every month. I'm I'm more of a slow. I'm starting to pick up my speed, but years ago it was almost every three years I came out with something new. But if you want a career as a novelist, I'm told you. A, a book a year might be the minimum, that, unless it takes off, unless the book just takes off, then you can maybe do one. Because readers want the, the, your new story soon. They don't want to wait a long time before that you come out with another novel because you can have readers who will buy every single book you write, even if it's not a series book, but they don't want a long waiting period before the next book comes out. So I want to ask you, when you very you started writing, you said, in college, was that not again the first book you started writing, or did you start with another story form like a poems or songwriting when you first started writing? No, Nanagan was the first thing I ever wrote, and I decided to go big or go home. So, <laughs> oh, good for you! And you were actually writing the novel while you were taking college courses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wrote was writing all the way through grad school as well. Uh, and I actually got picked up by a publisher my first year at grad school. Tell us how that happens. That is not an easy thing today, Haley. How did you? <laughs> how did that happen? Uh, so the way that happened was a lot of luck, uh, a little bit of skill, and right time, right place. Um, so living in Miami and going to grad school in Miami, uh, every year they have what is called the Miami Book Fair. It's in November, um, and my publisher, Rock Hill, likes to go. So I did a little bit of research. I was like, I want to look for a publisher. I end up talking to them, give them my pitch, and the editor, Athena Paris, you know, as I'm walking away, looks to the owner, uh, James Hill, and just says, we want her story. You're getting the wow. story. Uh, so she was a huge push for me. And then, um, you know, I sent it in, and then, like, two days before Thanksgiving, I get an email back from them saying, we want to see the rest of your manuscript. Uh, and, you know, the rest, of, you know, from there with history. Uh, by May, I had a contract, um, and then it took us another two years to, to edit, which was necessary because when I sent it into them, it was 213,000 words, and when it was published, it was 170. Whoa. So a lot of work went on. That's why it took two years between getting a contract and actually putting the book out. Oh, kudos to you. you. You're a woman who knows how to go after what you want. Let's start off with the quote at the top of the show. You're perfect to be on here today. Now, what actually, what's the inspiration behind this particular story? Now, again, why this story? Why tell this story, Haley? Uh, I think for me, just because I had fun telling it to myself, and so it quickly became this thing of, I enjoy this. Other people will enjoy this. I, you know, as a, someone who reads a lot, I see how authors can change someone's life, and I kind of thought, I was like, I want to do that for someone else. I want to write a story that makes them feel better about themselves, or decide they want to try something new, or even believe, yes, I can write a book as well and, and do it. Okay. Now, what kind of feedback have you been received? It's your first time getting feedback from readers. I'm telling you, I'm, when I started out, I did not want to work with an editor for money reasons. I self-published. And I also was like the feedback you get from an editor. It was, most editors are general because they know that writers can be sensitive at times. But then you, you're going to get feedback, though. You can either say you don't want to get it from an editor and you want to keep editing and editing and editing yourself, but I highly recommend working with an experienced professional editor. editor. But you're going to get feedback from readers then next. What have readers been saying about Nonagin? Um, So probably one of the most consistent bits of feedback I get is that there's too many characters, um, <laughs> which for me isn't an issue because – 
I have a near eidetic memory for books for about a year, so a lot of characters is no big deal to me, but I forget that's not always the case to other people. Uh, so there's a lot of characters. That's one of the you know most common things I get. Um, but you know, so far everyone who's read it has been just blown away and been like, we love this story. Like my best friend's father, who is easily in his 70s, is just like foaming at the mouth for the second book. He's like, I need it and I need it now, and just to kind of get that that same reception from. People my age and people way older than me, it's, just, it's a really, really cool thing. Is Do you leave this, and I've heard readers say, do you leave the ending of the first book on a cliffhanger where people put it down and they're like, oh, I got to, I got to, is it on a cliffhanger or, or are, you writing the, are you writing each book so that it could be a standalone book? So if somebody... Comes into this book series on book two or book three, would they be able to fully enjoy that book, or would they have to have read the other books as well? No, so these are not standalones. You absolutely have to have read the first book to understand the second book. Um, as far as cliffhangers go, the first book I wouldn't say is is like a cliffhanger. You can absolutely see the cliff, but like you're in no danger of falling off said cliff. Uh, the second book is absolutely a cliffhanger <laughs> um, so okay now tell us tell us uh, Haley again and I, I share this with for the people who tune in to off the shelf who themselves want to do what you're doing and they might think it's just way too challenging like they they may want to write a, a novel a screenplay etc but they they're like no I can't do it it's too hard what what writing process do you follow do you do you create an outline? Because you said you had two hundred and something thousand words, which is a massive story. What 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 is the writing process you follow? Do you do outlines, character sketches? How do you get the story from your imagination onto paper? <laughs> that's a that's another really good question. Um, so with the first book, Tanagan. I didn't outline anything. I just went because, uh, you know, these were the stories I told myself most often, so I, I knew exactly where I was going right off the bat. The second book, um, for the most of it, I could just go, uh, you know, slight planning, just bullet points every now and again. Uh, the ending required a bit more planning. Uh, with this third book, <laughs> I actually had to, I had trouble starting it because it was like, I don't know where I'm going, so I actually had to uh, do a bit of an outline. Um but, you know, and you were, I know you were saying, you know, a lot of people are just like, how can I do something like this? And I would really love to touch on that subject. Um, you know, when you look at a book, it looks like this big monster of a thing. But no one sits down and writes a book in a day. You know, you can write 500 words. You know, it takes 10 minutes. So, you know, if you do 500 words a day, a book's 80,000 words. Yeah, you know, do the math. In about a year, you'll have written a book just by doing 500 words a day. It's all about little increments, and they all build on each other. You know, thank you for sharing that, Haley. And that's not just in book writing, but in life. A lot of times, and I've heard people say, whether you, you want to get start eating healthy, lose weight, you want to get a, another job, uh, you want to get your finances together, we often look at it like this big, huge project and then we feel overwhelmed and we don't even get started. So the thing is, you're, you're so right. Don't look at it as I have to write a, a, a novel, I have to get a literary agent or get a publisher, get it published, edit it, published, and then market it and sell it. Then, yeah, that could scare a lot of people off. But if you, if you say, I'm just going to write 500 words a day and step by step by step, and then, and then, then I, I will deal with the next step when I get ready for it. That's a good way to come out of the fear of writing a novel. As many novels there are out here, and there are a lot of them, for people who love to read, and then a lot of novels are turned into TV shows. You might get it streamed through Netflix. You might, it might turn into a major motion picture. Somebody make it into a, a stage play. There are people hungry for good stories. There, there are people hungry for a good story. So, you know, you hear people say if you got a story in, you share it. There's somebody out here who would love to read what you write. And that's it when we're talking about sharing. Can you share, because you got to get the word out about Monaghan so the, its readers can find it not only for this uh, series and, and, and meet the, the main characters 
and the Aaron and the Keegan and and the and the uh, uh, the Caius, the king, and learn about the uh, the uh, different parallel universes. You got to find the book's readers. They absolutely love the story, but then you have to find them. So, can you uh, share with with us here on Off the Shelf what three to four steps do you have you taken, Haley, that you have found to be effective at getting the word out about your book? Yeah. Um, so, one of the things I do most often is uh, I come on podcasts like uh, like this one, um, and you know, it's a great way people love podcasts are easy and so you know that's a really good way to kind of get my book out there um book fairs and conventions um i'll actually be at the miami book fair coming up in november with my publisher and um another author and i did the uh comic palooza out in texas in july so that's another really good way to uh, get your book out there also um social media i do a lot of stuff on instagram um, I reach out to other people in the book community. Um, you know, I, there's plenty of authors where we've done book trades and we'll say, you know, I think you'd like this and I think you'd like mine. So let's trade books and, you know, give each other a little bit of publicity. <laughs> so Let me ask you, what is the Miami Book Fair? I've never been to that. I've, I used to get on the road and go to a lot of things. And this is for our listeners themselves who might have books out. But what, what is it? I know with COVID it's different. I, 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 that I know is probably scaled back as far as attendance. But pre-COVID, I've always heard it's a great event. Is it? Is this something where like a hundred thousand plus readers are there? There are a lot of author panels. You can do Q and A with authors. Authors do book readings. You can get books autographed. Can you describe for our listeners what is it? And I'm, pre-COVID at the Miami Book Fair, what is that experience like? Yeah, so um, what the city of Miami does is in downtown Miami, they, like, block off a solid, like, two blocks. And lining the streets are book vendors selling books. You've got, you know, um, your author booths. You've got publishers, you know, they're selling their stuff. They're looking for new people. Um, There's, like, an entire section dedicated to food. Um, They've got another entire section dedicated to, like, comic books. it's massive and it's so much fun. Well, you know what? I got to get down there. Listen to me. I've got to get down there. Give <laughs> what? the whistle of our listeners. Tell us. Give us a little intro to the next book in in the series. It's coming out early next year. Give us a little glimpse into it to make folks want to go out and get the first book and the second book that's due to come out early 2022. Yeah, uh, so in the next book, um, they're more or less going to war, and, well, Colt is king, and Colt is the middle son of Caius, who is absolutely insane. He is a horrible human being, and he enjoys being a horrible human being. Um, So there's a lot of tension with him. Uh, You've got Keegan trying to balance a lot of different things with what's expected of her and what she needs to do. Um, and it just, it all kind of, everything comes to a head in this, this big battle. Um, and then a lot of craziness goes down and then you have to find out how the craziness plays out in the third book. (laughs) This is a movie. I'm seeing this man, either a TV series or a movie, your imagination. I mean, just listening to you, this story sounds so intriguing. Now we learn so much about ourselves, Haley, while we're creating, what have you learned about yourself since you started writing Nonagon? Um, I have learned that I can do a lot of things I didn't believe I could, like writing a book and um, marketing my book. <laughs> um, you know, so those are kind of big things to me. I've also learned that there's a lot of people out there who want to read your book, and just because they've never heard of it, you can still approach them and say, do you want to read my book? And most of the time the answer is yes. So, you know, you don't have to wait for readers to come to you. You can go to the readers. Wow. What advice can, would you share with somebody who's looking to write, publish, and market a book? They're really hungry to do it. I know the 500 words a day was excellent advice. You found your publisher at the Miami Book Fair. What other advice would you give to somebody who this is a burning desire in them, but they keep talking themselves out of it? Um, you know, my biggest piece of advice on that would be find yourself a support group of people who will support your writing and 
encourage you to do so, but also um, to pick a social media and find the book community there and get yourself involved with it. You'll meet people who are readers, um, and you know, you'll get a lot of book suggestions, but you'll also get a lot of writers who will give you advice and you know, if you've got a question or you've got fears, they'll help talk you through them. Um, you know, most authors I've met are more than happy. They're just like, you know, you have a question about something. Talk to me. I want to help you. Um, so, you know, find those communities. Get involved with them. There's going to be a ton of people who want to help you succeed. And and, and that's good advice. Uh, early on, if you're, if you're new, as a listener, I used to read the Writer's Digest, the uh, the writer, Publishers Weekly. Is a, you can learn who, where the editors are and what's going on in the in the publishing industry. Those are just some. But also joining writers' critique groups and, and, and make sure it's not everybody just saying, oh, it's a fabulous story, because they can help you develop a story. They can tell you things that uh, you, that an editor might miss because if you have – Ten people reading and providing feedback. They're experienced authors. Some of them might be new. They can give you good a story development and, and character development. Uh, it can really make the difference when your uh, book is published, so that readers can enjoy it without feeling like they have to go back and reread sections or they, they're confused about which character is doing what. So, a writers' critiques groups is another one. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy? Oh, and I'm I'm sure I've been saying it wrong the whole time. You're just so gracious. You're not being correcting me. But where can off-the-shelf li- listeners get a copy of Nanagan? Uh, yeah, so you can get a copy of Nanagan pretty much anywhere that sells books, including Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, Target, Books A Million. Uh, you won't be able to find them in stores. Unfortunately, no bookstores uh, have any physical copies of my book, but you can order them offline. Uh, if you want a physical book, you can always reach out to me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is by underscore H.C. Kilgower, and I'm happy to get you a book. You can also purchase one off of rockhillpublishing.com, uh, which is the publisher. Or if you happen to be in the same area as any events I'm doing, you can pick up a book there as well. Okay. okay. So is it available for our listeners in ebook print? Uh, do you have an audio book? This book sounds like it would be a great audiobook, although making an audiobook is expensive. But what formats is it available in? It is available in hardback, paperback, and ebook. Um, the publisher and I have talked about doing audiobooks, but unfortunately it's a little bit outside of our budget at the moment. But hopefully we'll be doing that soon. Yeah, it, audiobooks are expensive. But a lot of people, they'll start to ask because they're, they're starting to more and more readers. Or, or wanting to read an audio book, they just put their plug in their headphones and enjoy enjoy the story. Now you said uh, you, you're going to be at the Miami uh, Book F- Festival, and thank you for sharing what that experience is like with our listeners here. Do you have any other upcoming speaking engagements that you can share with our listeners? Um, yes. So Rock Hill Publishing is also doing a meet and greet with the um, Keys Meet, which is in Key Largo, on November 18th. So we'll be there as well. We'll be um, having some needs, signing some books, talking to some readers. Uh, and then next year I'm going to be at a local Renaissance Fair um, pretty much February and March every weekend. Wow. What is it called again? Which which one? The one you're going in February and March. Um, it's just the Renaissance Fair. I'm pretty sure that's just all it's called. Um, outside of that, I'm not entirely sure. You are a woman on the go. If you are on any social social networks, and you said you are, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook as H.C. Kilgower, and you can find me on Instagram as by underscore H.C. Kilgower. Oh, my goodness. What a treat. What a treat. We have come to the end of the day's show. We have been blessed to have Miss Haley Kilgore a true go-getter from Charlotte, North Carolina, here with us. She's making her home in Miami, Florida. If you guys get down to the Miami, Florida Book Festival, check check out Haley Kilgore, Rock Hill Publishing. Get over to her booth, and you can tell her you heard her on Off the Shelf and meet her in person, and maybe get an autographed copy of Non Again, Non Again, 
uh, uh, and, and that book sounds so so fascinating. You can start reading that first book in the series before a second book comes out early 2022. And you can find Haley online, other than the social media places she gave, Facebook, etc. You can also go to rockhillpublishing.com, and it's spelled the way it sounds, R-O-C-K-H-I-L-L-P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-N-G.com, rockhillpublishing.com. And under authors, just find Haley Kilgore, and you can check more out about her there as well. Haley, thank you so much for being here with us and the work that you do with the water and environment and the Marines and uh, uh, biology. Thank you for that. And I truly enjoyed having you on Off the Shelf this morning. I wish you so much success with your writing. And thank you to our listeners, who uh, our loyal listeners, and those of you who may have come in. Uh, this is your first time in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just want to leave that quote with you. And it kind of was it a little bit of Haley's message on on just get, just go for it. If you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. And that's a, the the uh, contributor is is anonymous. If you if you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. And as I always tell you, remember you are awesome. You are incredible. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Mark your calendar. Next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, you are going to catch Off the Shelf where so many wonderful guests like Haley Kilgore come on and just bless you, bless you, bless you. Thank you, Haley. I send you an email when the show finishes streaming. Bless you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye for now.